The NFL Draft is right around the corner, and the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny and Brooklyn Nets superfan Mina Kimes will get you ready as Mina is joined by former players, insiders, and analysts each week to talk about team needs, draft prospects, and the latest NFL storylines. That's the Mina Kimes Show featuring her dog, Lenny. Her dog, Lenny. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, the low post. Welcome to... The Low Post Podcast on a Monday morning. The NBA regular season is over. The not playoffs begin in about 40 hours or 36 hours or something with the first two games of the play-in tournament. Awards ballots are due in about 12 hours on the dot. The Lakers have already fired their coach reportedly, even though they haven't told the coach that he's been fired yet, even though the coach has known all season that he's probably getting fired literally from day one to help us break it all down. One of the people's favorite guests, one of my favorite guests, Los Angeles icon, Kevin Arnovitz. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? I am. I am ready. I'm as ready as I'll ever be for the playoffs. I, I, I got no choice. They're here. We, we, we're going to do it. And we're like right on the last day of the season, as the results are pouring in, as the Thunder plays six guys you've never heard of in the last game, like you think it's all just sort of fun and games, the chicanery in the East. The chicanery for seeds two, three, and four in the East was just all-time epic uh, and resulted in Boston essentially having, having to choose on the last day of the season. Milwaukee forced Boston to choose almost – almost totally between number two and maybe the Nets and number four and maybe Toronto, which is the Sixers have discovered raises a whole hornet's nest of issues. Just delightful. And then Luka Doncic gets hurt. And Woj has reported that the Mavericks are confident he's going to be fine for the playoffs. But this is why I said to Tim McMahon, as much as we are piling on the Jazz and burying the Jazz prematurely, you just never know. You catch one break and everything changes. But we'll talk about those matchups when it's time to talk about those matchups. K.A., from this from this wild and wooly weekend of NBA basketball, there will be one quote from one human I, it is, that I it will is, remember for the rest of my life. And I know what it is. I haven't been told. Yep, I haven't been told. And do you know why I like that quote? I like it because I actually didn't – I haven't seen the video of Frank Vogel making it while being asked about his reported firing before he's been fired after a, a, a Lakers win over the Nuggets, uh, meaningless as always. I like it because I can see the smile on his face and feel the happiness in it. I like it because one layer underneath it is I want a mother NBA title. I got my money. I'm going to get the money that's owed me. This job helped my Q rating. I won a championship. I'm a champion forever. The entire world knows that not even two years ago, we were raising the banner and everyone, including the star players on my team, credited me, Frank Vogel, for helping instill the defensive culture that helped us win that title, that drove us to that championship. Tough, physical Top five defense in the NBA at worst. I don't remember exactly where they were. Top three, maybe. And everyone in the world knows that this season, none of this is on me. None of it. I didn't. I, I had nothing to do with the rush trade. I had nothing to do with the injuries. I had nothing to do with all the minimum signings except one or two busting out. None of this is on me. The world knows it. I'm going to drink a beer, call my wife, tell her I love her, and I'm coming home. I'm happy as a clam, and I haven't been 
told and you know what else me saying that here's a kick in the balls out the door to rob polinka and the bus family because you didn't even tell me and i've already been fired on twitter i loved it the only thing that could have made it better is if like ron livingston in office space he had walked in with his fishing rod and his flip-flops and just kind of plopped a striped bass down on the cubicle desk and then just kind of gone in to say hello to the bobs right like, like it was because that, that's essentially his workplace right i mean it's uh you know it's gary cole standing with a coffee mug at your cubicle yeah uh you know we haven't made a decision yet frank why do you come in at 9 a.m on saturday morning <laughs> you know like 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 the, 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 you know what's interesting about the Lakers situation is is to me the, the nothing the most in- is the answer nothing is no no it is it's it's a fascinating no, no zach it's a fascinating exam examination and how organizations work and don't work right there's a story in january you might remember right that, that russell westbrook isn't terribly pleased with being benched in the fourth quarter which is understandable and there's one little line in the news story that kind of just came and went which is that vogel had management's authorization to make a fourth quarter substitution which is kind of everything you need to know about how things function there, right? Is this is an organization where an NBA championship head coach needs a permission slip to make a fourth quarter substitution in January. And, and you know, you, you start to understand kind of why things are dysfunctional there and why Monty Williams said, thank you, no thank you, I'll go to Phoenix, where I'll, you know, preside over the best team in the league and probably win another, uh, win a coaching the year award this year. It's why Ty Lue says, you know what? Thank you, but no thank you. I'll go down the street. Um, And it's until the Lakers convey to their head coach, aren't you anything other than aren't you lucky to be coaching our team, which is essentially their posture toward any hire. Aren't you lucky to be coaching the Los Angeles Lakers, which frankly hasn't been the case for a very long time. I mean, no one's life has been improved in years by coaching the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, and I'm sure they're obviously going to have their pick of the litter, but but it's just, it's actually a fascinating situation, Zach, because this is one of the golden brands in sports. And yet this particular position is not coveted. Um, it's not prestigious. Uh, and it, it's generally a source of humiliation. It, it says something that when you begin to dig into the, okay, like why did, what did Frank Vogel do wrong? You, know, you see all this analysis and hear all this analysis. Like, well, you know, he played DeAndre Jordan too much. DeAndre Jordan's not even on the team anymore, and the Sixers are getting booed for playing him at all, and there's chanting for B-Ball Paul to take his minutes. He played Avery Bradley too much. I mean, when you're going down to, like, he played these two guys too much together, your season was doomed from the beginning. That's just you're trying so hard to find some sliver of, of actual X's and O's coaching blame for something that wasn't Frank Vogel's fault. And look, I don't think I, I don't think Frank Vogel is like Red Arback. I, I think if you ranked the top ten coaches on a lot of people on a lot of GMs lists, he wouldn't be in the top ten. He'd be close in some lists he would make. I think he's a good coach who did a good job, who won a championship with the Lakers, and almost none of this is his fault. And and I don't even know like what what else to say about it. It's, it's almost a boring it's a, I, I will tell this. I, I saw some of the Lakers coaches after the very first game of the season. I was in L.A. It was Warriors-Lakers. The Warriors came back in the fourth quarter and rolled them, and Russ was like a disaster. I don't remember what Russ's stats were, but they were really, really bad. And it was one of those games where it's like, is, can, is something wrong with his hands? Like, can he not dribble? And I saw some of the coaches after the game, 
And they were walking out of the tunnel and talking to me and talking to others. And the looks on their faces, it, it, you would have thought they were 15 and 40. Like, that's how bad it was one game in. I hadn't seen anyone so haggard after one game since since like five or six years ago when the Rockets were under an enormous amount of pressure and they blew a game in L.A. and I saw some Rockets people and it was like, are you guys like 0-20? It's like one game. Calm down. So anyway, here we are. I don't. We've done the Lakers thing to death. We've done the Russ trade to death. We've done the what's next thing. What are the fake Russ trades? All this to death. I just felt like they are the Lakers. They are the biggest brand in the NBA. They have LeBron. We have to at least acknowledge that this happened. I, do you have anything else to say about this? No. Okay, let's go on to the play-in tournament. This is like a mini 8 by 8 podcast, 4 by 4 previewing all four of the first play-in games. I have them ranked from most interesting to me to least interesting to me. And I should say, they're all interesting to me. I like them all, but I rank them just for fun. And we are going to follow my list from most interesting to least interesting. But I asked you to make the same rankings anyway, just to see if our lists overlapped didn't match, interacted at all. So uh, give me your list one to four, most interesting to least interesting, and I'll see how closely we align. But your list for purposes of podcast ordering is meaningless. This is a dictatorship. It's This is just an exercise in fun. Okay. Uh, the most interesting game to me is Los Angeles Clippers at Minnesota Timberwolves. That is number one. Um, second okay, to me is Char- it, Charlotte at Atlanta, followed by Cleveland at Brooklyn, followed by San Antonio at New Orleans. And and again, I don't know that there's a huge chasm between the two, although I, I do think Clippers-Minnesota is my far and away number one. But then it's kind of a close bunch for different reasons. We are 75% the same, including in the top spot, where I have dubbed the Timberwolves and the Clippers in the 7-8 game in the Western Conference. The winner will get seventh and face the rollicking Memphis Grizzlies. The game is tomorrow, I think. In Minnesota, let's dive into this one as we start off. The Timberwolves are the higher seed, 6th in offense, 13th in defense. The Clippers, 25th in offense, 8th in defense. A great defensive team all year. Paul George is back and playing really well with Paul George and Reggie Jackson on the floor. They're plus 4, almost plus 5 per 100 possessions. Norm Powell is back. Robert Covington is like plus 9,000 off the bench for them since they acquired him. They are deep. They are rangy. They are a well-coached team that's going to throw lots of different ideas at you. And the main idea that they are facing in this winner-take-all game against a young, hungry Wolves team is how in the hell are we going to defend Carl Anthony Towns, the best shooting big man in the game today, who also has a killer post-game. I watched the film. I'm curious to see what Ty is going to do. Uh, but this, just even zooming further out, this is a really sexy game to me because the Clippers are this sort of veteran, hungry, feisty, now newly deep, well-coached, experienced team that has kind of become everyone's choice for, ooh, that's a team kind of we don't want to play. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a lion in sheep's clothing or whatever the phrase is. And Minnesota is this sort of like, oh, they should just be happy to be there, upstart, you know, probably a lot of people are going to pick them to lose this game. I think it's a really interesting game. So you, you start wherever you want. What are you looking for in this game? I mean, pardon the arbitrary endpoint, but the Minnesota Timberwolves are the most efficient, best offensive team in basketball since New Year's Day. And, and, and Ooh. they are, have you watched them lately? I know you have. 
There are so many oh, yeah. pools in the shed. It's fun. I mean, the inter- so the, the game on a broad level is interesting to me because you have the best offensive basketball against a team that, as you said, is deep, veteran, well-equipped to defend the best offensive basketball with a coach who will do any damn thing he pleases, which is really fun to watch. I will put my seven-footer on Luka Doncic, sure. You know, who knows who's going to cover? Like... Elton Brand might come back for this game and, and, and cover Carl Anthony Towns. We don't know. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about watching a Ty Lu playoff game is you have absolutely no idea. But the Wolves are a blast. There are so many tools in the shed. It's like a coherent offense. Like we talk about this evolution of the NBA big man for years, and we've forgotten how special that kind of versatile skill set is. And in Towns, he is starting to control the game like Anytime there's a mismatch, which is often, against double teams, which is often, like you're going to put Keldon Johnson or Jeff Green on him, fine. Like I'm going to take you to the post and and the Benny Hill theme song will ensue for your defense, right? Oh, you're going to put a conventional big man on me, like like Jakob Pertl or Dwight Powell, fine. I will drive you to the hoop from 24 feet, like I'm Dominique freaking Wilkins. Like it doesn't... He has every single pass of the game. And what it is, it's not just that he's good, it has created a really fun offense to watch. Like, you know, D'Angelo Russell kind of got lost there for a couple of years. You know what he is? He's a really capable pick and roll man. Like, Edwards is, is choosing his spots better. I mean, still kind of, I think, maturing and figuring out sort of decision making on the fly. But man, I mean, he's just like as an athlete, as, as, as a, I wouldn't say as a tactician, but he's just starting to, I think, understand how to play with teammates. And I'm a big Jared Vanderbilt man. Like, I think adult teams in the NBA who can win important games have guys like Vanderbilt. Like, he's mobile. He's kind of a mobile four. He doesn't need the ball. He's active enough as a non-shooter that he doesn't really clog you up, even, in, you know, in the dunker spot. Um, with all that creativity around him, he just he does, he's a great rebounder. Um, and then, I don't know, like, I'm happy with Beasley. I'm happy with Beverly. I think they're, they've they got some depth. It's not a ton of depth, but it's enough depth, especially when your team is young. Um, I just am really enjoying the whole Chris Finch, Towns, Edwards, Russell experience in Minnesota right now. And then you've got the Clippers who will throw kitchen sinks and, like, kitchen refrigerators and Lord knows what else. They, they're kind of going to do this hockey swap. I mean, they've got basically the 10 deep and, and Ty's been running kind of two different units. I don't know, Zach, it's just, it's a fun-ass basketball game. So you said a couple names that we should just hit on quickly. The Clippers won the season series 3-1. D'Angelo Russell only played one of the four games. And, and by the way, three of those games, numbers, three of those games, Zach, were between November 3rd and November 13th in 10 days. Bef- two weeks before Thanksgiving, yeah, a, three games were already gone. The, there was a rapid fire series. D'Lo missed three of them. And on off numbers, you know, I, I think primarily because of his backups, paint him as a really important stabilizing force for their team. You mentioned Chris Finch. Just quietly got an extension announced today. That's how you do it, by the way. You, you win some games and you're like, hey, coaches, good job. Here's some more money. Enjoyed some job stability so we don't have any drama. Here you go, Chris Finch. Um, and the other name you mentioned was Jared Vanderbilt. One of the interesting questions to me about this game, I keep thinking it's a series. Like, I'm diving too deep into this for one game, but I, I don't know. care because what the hell else am I going to do? Um, I think Jared Vanderbilt is is going to see some time on Paul George, if not start the game on Paul George, because in prior matchups, they tried a Kogi on him. Well, he's out of the rotation. McDaniel's on him. Well, he's now a, a reserve player for them. They've tried Anthony Edwards on him, and Ant's on ball, 
okay. Off ball gets lost a lot, which is very dangerous against the Clippers who want to shoot and make tons of threes. And I think in trying those other players so much on PG, the Wolves have sort of signaled we don't love the idea of Ant on him. And then you go like, well, what other starter is going to do it? Are we going to put Beverly on him? Like, that doesn't seem, you know, maybe. I think we'll see that a little bit. But it might be Vanderbilt. But let's start with the Towns thing. Because everything in Minnesota's offense is going to flow out of Towns pick and pops and Towns post-ups. And so the most important question is, who's guarding Carl Anthony Towns and how are you going to do it? The answer, of course, is going to be, we're going to do a lot of stuff. And Carl and the Wolves are not going to know what's coming on any possession. In the aggregate, the Clippers leaned toward having Zubats guard Vanderbilt or some other non-threatening shooter and having a small, like Batum, a lot, guard Towns, which you see a lot of teams do. Put their centers on Vanderbilt, put smaller guys on Towns. And obviously that gives Towns an enormous advantage in the post. And the counter to that is the Clippers mix the hell out of their defense up. We'll front some possessions and have show help from behind. We'll hard double and dare Towns to beat us with his passing, which is good, but also very high risk and prone to turnovers. We'll, we'll, we'll scram switch, you know, behind the play where Zubats will run in and take them at the very last minute. So when they put it, it, it they'll also, when they put a small on Towns and they, and the Wolves run the Towns D or or Ant Towns pick and roll, they'll switch that anyway and put an even smaller guy on Towns in the post. And from there, again, sometimes they'll front, sometimes they'll double, sometimes they'll send Zubats running in to rescue that small guy. And the Wolves, to me, why this game is so interesting is this is going to be a really good test of their attention to detail and their habits on both ends of the floor because they're going to face a very professional veteran team who's going to try to outwit them on a possession-by-possession basis and test their weaknesses and poke at their inexperience. And that starts with this matchup against Towns, which is really interesting to me. I don't know what you expect, but I, I expect a lot of different looks and, and to test to test his ability and their ability to read and react to those looks. I mean, one thing I do expect is in a possible place where Minnesota is a little vulnerable is I expect some just old street fight physicality from Marcus Mars. Right. Like like physicality is something that the Wolves haven't really contended with, largely because they haven't really played meaningful games in, in the spring for, for a while now. Um, and I just think that is one place that they're really going to test Carl Anthony Towns is just try. I'm not talking about the get in your head stuff. I'm just talking about actually literally we are going to physically impose um, a layer of space around you that you're not accustomed to right now. We are going to get into your body. Um, Morris is a notorious instigator. Uh, and I mean that in the in, in the best possible way. And Towns is an instigator. And when you and when you look at man, PG, Batum, Covington, right. Powell, Morris. I mean, I'm not sure how much in this series they're going to go five out with no center on the floor. But regardless, they have a lot of long and smart defenders. And I think they're going to say to the Wolves, "You have this one big talent advantage over us." We're going to make you problem-solve right. the hell out of every single possession, and we don't think you can do it. Um, yeah, like Hart and I mean, yeah, they, they, I mean, they can play goon ball. Um, and they'll do it deliberately, right? I mean, they'll do it, I, I mean, with a lot of intention and knowing that this is not necessarily a team that is demonstrated. They haven't not demonstrated, but they have not demonstrated that, hey, that kind of street fight 
is something that because they are I mean they are a skill team and 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 it, it, to their credit I mean everything we talk about with Towns but I, I'm also excited to see Towns in this context you know we had that we had that that Jimmy team that what one year uh, that that you know sort of the fleeting uh, 18 team but I'm excited to see this because he's matured a lot uh, personally professionally etc I'm really excited to see sort of how he functions in a high stakes game and against a team that will try to make his life miserable and make him uncomfortable. And and to me, that's an ingredient in a great do or die game is why is this that why is this game particularly interesting to me? Because there's going to be some mental warfare as well. And and sometimes when they run that, you know, whether it's Ant Towns or D'Lo Towns pick and pop, Sometimes the Clippers are going to switch, but really late. Like they'll disguise it, and all of a sudden they'll switch at the last second. Sometimes they're not going to switch at all, and they're going to have Zubats drop back. If Zubats is stuck on Towns because that's the matchup on the other end, they're going to go at Zubats, the Wolves will, every single time with pick and pop as they should when they get that cross match. Sometimes they'll drop Zubats and send, when they pitch it back to Towns, a third defender will fly in from the wing to get in Towns' face. How fast does he make the decision to get off the ball, to drive? Like, those things are all really interesting to me. Um, let's talk about a couple of advantages where, not a couple of places where Minnesota might have, if not a baked-in advantage, a baked-in not disadvantage, I guess. The Wolves' problems are, number one, we fouled the bejesus out of everyone. We're, 20, we're 29th in opponent free throw rate. I have the Clippers idea. don't get to the line. The Clippers don't get to the line. So, okay, maybe one weakness not so damaging in this game. The Wolves can't rebound to save their own lives on de- on defense. Offensive rebounding, they're a great team. They're 28th in defensive rebounding. Well, the Clippers are 26th in offensive rebounding. So maybe they won't be able to punish that weakness. Although in the regular season, the Clippers amped up their offensive rebounding for this exact reason. And again, that's one of the areas where I'm looking at habits, habits, habits. You know the Clippers are going to try to sneak in for a few you know, mooching bonus points on the offensive glass. And same thing in transition. The Wolves are kind of an uneven transition defense. And you could tell watching the regular season games, the Clippers, who live and die by threes, and we'll talk about how they can get threes against this team, any opportunity they had to run, four on three, three on two, matchups are scrambled because of all the switching we've done and people don't know who to guard. We are hunting transition threes at all costs. And again, that's a habits thing. You know, that I, I just think all this stuff is, is really interesting. What strikes you out of any of that? Yeah. I mean, see, this is, is, is Minnesota in terms of, yeah, they give up a lot of threes. And, and again, I mean, we've talked about it in the past that that is not always fatal. And sometimes it's even a little intentional if you're a no middle team. Um, they give up a ton and, uh, you know, teams should reasonably well not not outrageously well but they do give up i mean basically 40 almost 40 percent of the shots they give up are threes the clippers have that as just a organizing principle um you know they'll, they'll they're gonna especially in a second unit when defenses tend to be less coherent and one of the really nice things i'm liking about what this is sort of you know we're already seeing this emergence of this man powell canard covington hartenstein sort of second unit now i'm sure Tie being tie, it's going to be unconventional. Who knows what the rotation will look like? Um, I imagine it'll be changed on the fly. I mean, I think I think Lou is as good an in-game manager and tactician and, and make a decision on the spot and press button coaches there is in the league. But it is going to be really interesting to see, uh, you know, like like uh, oh, the role Canard might play. Um, I mean, he has kind of become their microwave. Uh, by the way, won't necessarily even be on the floor in the final minutes. 
um, might very well be taking five of the last seven shots in a close game. I mean, again, I mean, the, the Lake the Clippers are really hard to scout, and not just because PGs is coming back, but but obviously, you know, three point shooting is a place where, you know, they're not. It's funny. I, I wouldn't say that the Minnesota defense is slow, but it's not always as immediately as responsive to side to side action, and, and you kind of watch sort of as the play as a possession gets stretched. Um, it's not that they have they scramble. It, it's just that it just they become a little less responsive, which is totally normal for a younger team, and frankly, a team that's never had defense as its ethic um, for ages. Uh, even frankly, when Thibodeau was there, they they weren't all that gifted. Well, that's the other big question for this game is Minnesota's point of attack defense. For most of the season, they have been very aggressive with Towns coming up above the level of the screen, putting two on the ball, and. They're doing that both to protect Towns, who's not a good drop-back center shot blocker, and to leverage all the athleticism they have around those plays. Guys that can run in and help and run back out at shooters. Edwards, McDaniels, Beverly, on and on and on. The Clippers are a really smart team. You put two on the ball, PG, Reggie, they've been really good at getting off the ball, trusting their teammates, trusting Zubats and Hartenstein, who is one of the best passing big men in the league, full stop. I mean, people don't know anything about this guy. Um, he's, he's, he's just a really great passer. And they tic-tac-toe their way into open threes. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested in if the Wolves adjust that defense at all or if they just say, this is how we play, it's one game, we're going to play how we play, and how well the Clippers, who can be you know turnover prone on bad nights, the Wolves do force a lot of turnovers, if they can pick apart that defense and generate lots of open threes and make enough – they have a good shot to win this game. Yeah, and then again, when, when, when Towns is up to touch, I mean, there's not, I mean, maybe frankly, Vanderbilt's probably their best rim protector in that respect. Um, it's, you know, again, this will always, as the Timberwolves improve, and it's not necessarily about this game, as they continue to improve, and I really like what, where the organization's going and this, that, and the other, is sort of trying to figure out the rim protection piece is going to be interesting. Again, sometimes you can protect yourself by being really, aggressive at the point of attack and we've seen plenty of teams do that over the years like Miami and but it's it's going to be more difficult because it's just intrinsically it's just not who they are what they do they were pretty decent league average defense this year um and by the way played crappy teams particularly well defensively I mean they were one of those good they they were they ran up some numbers in that respect but I'm, I'm very interested to see and also the other fun thing is we don't really know what the sort of second incarnation of the PG 2022 Clippers are like he's kind of just come back in the last week or two um I don't think we've really seen it on full throttle yet and he is such a talented as you said like an off-ball player and I, I don't think people I that's kind of the, the, the sort of the, the the missing appreciation of of, of Paul George's game is obviously he's an attacker, all those things that we associate with big wing scores, but he's also just a really good off-ball player. I mean, I mean, he's one of the best catch-and-shoot guys in the league, and nothing you'd ever necessarily say in sort of the, the first sentence or two of his scouting report. But um, he, he's just an incredibly versatile, big attacking wing who can do a lot of things, and I'm really curious to see. This is a big defensive test for them, even against a team, as you said, it's, it's not all that gifted offensively, certainly by ranking. But I do think the PG Clippers are a much – this is not a bottom 10 offensive team. Very important question I had for you going back and watching some of their earlier matchups. Are you pro or anti the Clippers powder blue alternate jerseys? Oh, very pro. And I, I've told, like, the business side people on this. I mean, powder blue and creamsicle orange, I mean, it, it is, like – 
you're leaving money on the table by not making that your primary, um, like kind of your primary scheme there. Like I, I just, first of all, no other team, you know, you've always said like people in college, like they love the Carolina uniform has always been a, a huge winner, not just because Carolina is a storied program. It's like, it's a very appealing hue. And like, I have no idea for the life of me why you would go with that sort of, it's not even like a good red. It's like the kind of cherry red before they got all the pixels on the wheel on your computer where you could kind of do cool reds and sort of reds with a little magenta red. No, this is just a boring ass red and royal blue, um, which is fine if you're kind of a storied franchise and that sort of represents something. But like the fact that the Clippers have not embraced as their primary sort of as their primary brand attributes, the the, the light blue and the creamsicle orange is a travesty. It's a Shonda. I don't think anyone has ever said Hugh on this podcast before. Nor have they said Shonda either. So, you, know. you have probably. Um, uh, I'm also pro powder blue. That's a color they could absolutely own if they just made it their color. Okay, so let's make a pick. I'm forcing you to make a pick. Here's my my ev- my head. Everything, the signs, the experience point to the Clippers. I'm picking the Wolves. My gut just says they are ready and Towns is ready to show out on a big stage they're hungry to make the playoffs. They're feeling good about themselves against my – not against my better judgment. I'm just going – I'm picking the Wolves. I think the Wolves win this game, get the seventh seed, and the Clippers play for their playoff lives in the uh, against the winner of the 9-10 game. K.A., you? Yeah, I was afraid you were going to ask me. So I have I, I have the Wolves, and I say that with no great confidence because it's one freaking game, which is, by the way, the genius of this tournament. Um, I'm taking the Wolves for the same reason. you. I think this is their next step. Um, and by the way, if if the Clippers do their ninja warfare and win by 14, I wouldn't be surprised either. But I've got the Wolves, like you do, by a smidge um, because they're just really, really talented offensively. And, and kind of, again, they've been playing great offensive basketball for over three months now. Crowd is going to be awesome, too. They do have home court, and that that does matter. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Okay, my second most interesting game, this is where we differ in the two and three splots. Splots. Splots is not a word. The two and three spots. Um, 
I went Cleveland Brooklyn as the second most interesting playoff game, despite the fact that uh, all the regular season matchups are littered with injuries and virus related absences and all of this stuff. Despite the fact that Cleveland just got Evan Mobley back, um, may not, probably won't, I don't know, but I'm guessing no, won't have Jared Allen, their all-star center, and is just sort of scrambling to figure out, like, what's our team? Like, Karis LeVert's back. The fit between LeVert and Garland has been, like, kind of, and eh, like, a little, it's got a little your turn, my turn vibe to it that I don't love. Uh, Jetty Osmond is suddenly playing even more minutes. Rondo sometimes plays, sometimes. So it just feels like they're kind of, it feels anticlimactic. Like, everyone is just penning in Brooklyn, as the seventh seed. Okay, I, I'm going to pick Brooklyn to win this game. I'm going to be surprised if they lose. Um, but it's Brooklyn, and it's Kevin Durant, and it's Kyrie Irving. So just by default, they can't fall any lower than two in my most interesting rankings. And I had a lot of arguments with people, both in the media and around the league, over the weekend, as Milwaukee signaled its intention to try to get to the third seed, or at least force Boston into this delicious dilemma of, do you want two? And Brooklyn? Or do you want four? And Toronto, assuming Philly beats Detroit in the end, and they did. As soon as Milwaukee, who, by the way, said, F all that last year, give us the heat. And this year, they're like, yeah, we we can maneuver our way to three. That's interesting. The Bulls can't beat anyone good. Maybe Maybe we'll try to do that. Maybe we built enough goodwill up with the basketball gods last year that, you know, they'll just kind of look past, look past this little... Are we ducking the nets? Maybe that's too strong. Or maybe the basketball gods will just let us skate on that one. But I had a lot of arguments with people saying, why is everyone so scared of Brooklyn? Why are these teams maneuvering to avoid Brooklyn? Why would Boston tank the last game against another team that was not trying to win in Memphis and get Toronto and all that brings when they can just win and get Brooklyn, even without Time Lord? Why are they so scared of Brooklyn? Why are they so scared of Brooklyn? Kevin freaking Durant. That's why everyone is so scared of Brooklyn. Their record with Kevin Durant is really good. With Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on the floor, they are plus 13 points per 100 possessions with an offensive rating of 123 points per 100 possessions, which literally made me write the words, holy on my notebook as I was preparing this podcast because I knew it was good, but I wasn't really sure it was that good. And look, Seth Curry's ankle is an issue and this and that. When they have those two guys surrounded by one rim runner, whatever, in Andre Drummond or Bruce Brown, one alleged non-shooter, although Bruce Brown is shooting the hell out of it lately, and and two other guys who can shoot, you're not going to be able to guard them. Now, they're going to have trouble guarding you. We can get into that. But I actually think the Nets in all of this, why is everyone so scared of them? I think the Nets have become underrated. And if they get the Celtics, I will pick the Celtics to win that series because I just think the Celtics are a better, more well-rounded team. But I don't think any of these teams were eager to play the Nets. But the Nets aren't there yet. They've got to beat the Cavs. What's interesting to you about this matchup uh, for, for between, again, the Nets and a Cavs team that was one of the great stories of the season, frankly? Yeah, and not to be a downer. I mean, what's interesting is imagining the matchup with Jared Allen healthy um, and, and allowing Cleveland to kind of do what it did so well at the beginning of the season, which is you are not going to score the ball at the rim, which is a really important thing and why you can become a top four team for much of the season if you deny teams the opportunity to score the ball at the rim. Because the rim's really, you know, if you're at the rim and you're a big guy, it's really close. It's kind of easy. Um, we talk about guys who make 
58% of their shots at the rim aren't good. I mean, that's how easy it is to score at the rim when you're a professional basketball player and the Cavs prevented teams from doing it. Allen is a huge part of that. And so my sadness with this series, it's not that I'm underrating Brooklyn or, or, or under, you know, or under. You said series. You said series oh, too. Oh, I said series, didn't I? By the way, I mean, not to get this into the weirdo structural issues, I'm just going to say it and then we can drop it, is let the teams pick their opponents. You can do it. Have them submit it to the office before the last Sunday. And just because if you don't like it, change the incentives. I'd want to play Chicago too right now. I mean, it's not, I don't even know if there's dishonor in that. This is a business. Um, so anyway, that's my weirdo structural commentary is just let people pick their opponents in order of wins. Um, but I just, I like this matchup with Allen. He's not going to be there. Um, Garland, Laverta, Coro, Market, and Mobley. I mean, I watched the fourth quarter of that Brooklyn game and like, your offense, your half court offense isn't helped with Laurie Market and dribbling into a contested mid range shot against Durant with 12 seconds left on the shot clock. He's not helping you defensively. I don't mean to bag on Market entirely, but like when he's sinking off like Durant at the top of the circle to join a scrum of approximately 17 Cavaliers, including Truck Robinson, to defend the rim. I mean, it's just. It's, it's just, I don't think they're a good basketball team right now, and it's not entirely their fault. I think incorporating Levert's been hard. He's not the most creative wing out there. I like Levert. I, you know, I was one of those, like, I think he was on my first team all-rookie that year when he kind of quietly came out of nowhere in, in the old kind of, hey, we're, we're the little engine that could nets. But, you know, I, I just don't think there's enough right now creativity beyond Garland on the floor really happen i mean they kind of need love out there but they often feel like they can't endure him out there defensively um he didn't play in the fourth quarter uh in the latter half of the fourth quarter of that game um i just think this is a very incomplete team i think the poor cleveland cavaliers who've been an amazing story and i'm hugely optimistic about their future i just think right now they're not a great team and they're playing against as you said you know the holy nets and i I just don't think that's in you're asking me to rank four games it's not that interesting to me um, Kevin Durant right now, and it's not just the pin downs and the pull-ups and everything else. If he is driving in the middle third of the floor, you know, it, you, it is absolutely fatal, particularly now that you have Curry on the wing, ankle or no ankle. Like it, it's just Drummond's a capable enough roadblock. Bruce Brown is some Martian other sized one or undersized five or, you know, this size three, I have no idea what he is, but he's an exceptionally effective basketball player playing with the kind of skill set that Irving and, and Durant and the other guys have. And I, I just, I'm not, I'm just down on this series, not because I don't love the Cavs. I just kind of miss the Allen Cavs. I just think this is a case where he was so integral to what they do. I love Mobley. He's still sort of working his way back rhythmically. I don't feel like he's the same Mobley I saw, um, you know, a couple months ago. And I'm just sort of sad because the cat, I want the, if you can give me the January Cavs against this Nets, this is my number one game. That isn't happening. Jared Allen's absence looms large, not only on defense, but the Nets are the worst defensive rebounding team in the league. And Cleveland's shot at this game, part of it lies in just pounding them on the boards. And he's, you know, their best offensive rebounder and, and put back guy. And, you know, that's that's not there. Uh, and you mentioned love. The Nets will hunt love every time he's on the floor, which yeah. reduces the effectiveness of the triple big lineups. Now, there's only one triple big lineup. It's love marking in and Mobley and it's just you know it's got an easy an easy spot to pick at um I would I'm also interested in you know who gets the Durant assignment in this game because 
they will use a Coro on Irving. They have preferred anyway to use a Coro on Irving or Harden when Harden was on the Nets, which feels like nine years ago that James Harden was a member of the Nets. And they've they've tried Markinen as the yes. primary guy on KD. <laughs> okay. I mean, he's big. He moves his feet. Okay. They've tried Dean Wade, who's injured. Dean Wade got Wade the did fine, in, by the way. Dean Wade games. was he was solid early in the year on Durant. Like he had a couple of I mean, that was their most effective defender, which isn't saying a lot um on, on, on Durant, but it was fine. But now he's gone. So, you know, they're in they're in. I mean, marketing was kind of a I wouldn't say a disaster, but it wasn't good. They've tried Lamar Stevens. I assume we will see that look some when Stevens gets in the game. Uh, their best option is probably Mobley, and they've been willing to switch. You know, Mobley has started games now. He's their starting center. My guess is he'll start on Drummond because they want him on the glass and around the rim, even though Drummond can push him around. But they've been willing, like when KD and Drummond run pick and rolls, they've been perfectly happy to switch Mobley onto Durant. So maybe they'll just keep that set up. But he's probably their best individual option to guard Durant one-on-one none of these are great and just Durant and Irving are amazing all-world players by the way Isaac Okoro I don't know what to make of this guy there was a moment at the end of last year where he started scoring more I was like okay and at the beginning of this year he was taking it to the rim in transition and it's just all then he got hurt and he missed time his usage rate is down to like 10 or 11 percent he just never actually does anything anymore and he's a good defender but he's not like Kawhi Leonard like he's gonna have to start doing stuff just some stuff like even if it's just shoot more threes or pump and go and finish at the rim it's just hard it's hard to hit to be PJ Tucker but as a two and just do nothing on offense and and by the way and not shoot corner threes like PJ Tucker so he's an interesting guy to me I just don't think they have enough answers defensively or offensively frankly and Garland's a stud but um, I don't think that's gonna be enough no, and I, God, I was I I've loved watching Garland kind of master the pick and roll game this year. I mean, he was already good, and it, it's been. And I just I just wish he had a few more tools in this one. You know, I, I like Okoro as a glue guy, but you can't. Uh, again, I mean, he's not a weak side threat. Um, he's not going to hit you from the corner. You you can kind of I wouldn't say you can schlough off him, but you don't need to pay him a hell of a lot of attention. Oh, just, yes, you yes yes you can. And then yeah, I guess will. you do need they to schlough guard him at all. Um, I mean, he missed a big, a wide open three in the corner as sort of the game was getting away in the fourth quarter. I, I, I just, I mean, I, I like him potentially as, as sort of a guard glue guy, but again, it, you know, those that position isn't normally available as as sort of a of, of an average size wing on on a roster. I mean, you have to be a PJ Tucker. I mean, like we we might have, I, you know, we might have inflated the definition of glue guy, or we had definition creep or something, but. I don't know. I mean, Okoro, I, I also wonder if, if is he on is he one of your five best options on the floor if, if this game was within reach in the fourth quarter? Meanwhile, I sound like I'm talking. I mean, I do feel badly. Like, I'm sound like, like hey, this is going to be a blowout six minutes into the third quarter. Um, and maybe that's my expectation. I, I, I do feel like I've been a little down because I've really enjoyed Cleveland's season. And I love where they're going as, you know, as a team. The Nets record with Durant, I don't, it was 32 and 18 at one point. I don't know what it finished that. That was like a week ago. So it's something like that. They're at home. They're playing a team that's missing, you know, one of its two or three best players and, and would be an underdog anyway. I mean, I don't, I don't really see it. Yeah. Bruce Brown, uh, he'll probably start uh, guarding Garland, which is an interesting matchup. He's had a couple of big assist games in the last month and a half, and a couple of games where he's had like four blocks. 
He's he might mess around and he get himself a five by five game at some point in his career if he keeps this up. He's a sneaky five. We never get five by five games. It's like the coolest statistical minutia. He's come cl- not close. No one, but he's come like there was one game where he was a couple blocks away. There was one game where he had four blocks and a few steals. That just just he's just, that's just how know, well it, he's playing. It's it's the um, Andre Kirilenko uh, comeback. I mean, I, I we, yeah, we, I miss the AK five by fivers. And uh, without Allen, I, I also wonder how freely Steve Nash will just play Durant at center and just throw all size and defense. Not uh, Durant's a very good defensive player, but you know what I mean. To throw that out the window and just say, guard us. Good luck. We don't think you can punish us. If you want to post Kevin Love and Evan Mobley, go ahead. We don't care. Um, so we're both picking uh, the Nets to win this game and secure the seventh seed and work their way into a very tasty matchup against the Boston Celtics who have basically been the 96 Bulls for three months now. I mean, it's like, I, I can't remember. I was talking to someone, a front office guy yesterday. I just can't remember a season in which a team within the same season flipped from mediocre disappointment to, uh, is this by far the best team in the NBA? Like, what the hell is going on here? It's crazy. But that's a conversation for another day. On to my number three ranked interesting game, and I believe your number two ranked interesting game. The potential shootout in the 9-10 game in the Eastern Conference playing between the Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets division rivals. You can feel the intensity of a Southeast division rivalry bleeding into this game. The Southeast, you know what they say about the Southeast division. You know, the most intense rivalries in the NBA, and they're at Southeast. The Hawks... The number two offense in the NBA and the number 26 defense. Ugh. The Hornets, the eighth best offense in the NBA and the 22nd ranked defense. They split the season series 2-2. Bunch of guys missed games, including John Collins missed one. He may miss this one, too. Hasn't played in quite a long time. What sticks out to you about this very interesting matchup uh, between two teams who, if they get hot, if they get hot, you don't want to face these guys. They're unpleasant. No, I mean, no, and it's the I-85. I love it, man, as, as, as an Atlanta native. They should just play this thing in Gaffney, South Carolina. There's like this enormous water tower in the shape of a peach, but it actually just looks like an enormous ass. And so they call it the ass in the sky when you're when you're driving up 85. Um, it's it's about halfway. All right. Charlotte, Atlanta. I didn't, didn't expect this. Didn't expect this level of local local reporting to be to be brought here. Hey, you gave me a Charlotte to Atlanta game. I, I mean, this is a route uh, that I know well. But so it's kind of funny thing here, right? The Charlotte Hornets don't play defense, except they have been the single most effective team at guarding Trey Young the last couple of years. He does not play well against them. They have done some funky, funky stuff. Like they understand that when Trey initiates the Hawks offense, it is lethal. And when he doesn't, it is not very good. He doesn't like to work off the ball. So what we're going to do is we're going to take Trey out. He like, so, so Borrego and, and that staff will, they'll like zone the Hawks. They'll pressure the ball out of his hands. It is, it is a total fire alarm. Uh, and then once Trey gives it up, like they will not let him get it back. And they, you know, they've done it well with Terry Rozier um, Martin has been an effective defender on him as well, and they want to show him a little more size. They've been really good at getting him to play kind of east and west and just making him see bodies. And again, it is it is guerrilla warfare, and they've been extremely, extremely good at it, which is, again, kind of crazy because, like, this is not a great defensive team. They do not blow up screens. It's not in their nature. Um, and they just have to throw curveballs 
um, because that base defense just generally isn't enough. Um, but with with Rogier ball hawking and you know some mobility behind and when they've got like Bridges and and PJ at the four and five, which defensively is sort of must keep Borrego up at night. Um, because it's just they do give up a lot there, but they've been really good. You look at like these single digit games that Young has had against Charlotte. He, they have frustrated him, and they are probably the only player in the league the Charlotte Hornets have frustrated from a defensive standpoint. So I'm actually really always excited. It's a little bit of like kind of a Ty Lue thing where I'm excited about this game because I want to see what they do um, to Trey because they've done it well in previous games. Now that said, he'll go off and score. 38 and have 17 assists and Lord knows what else, but they've been really good against Trey. Now, this is another case where you're going to see a lot of different things because if you show Trey Young the same diet of stuff, even within a single game, he's going to eat it up. And you mentioned pressuring the ball out of his hands. They've done that some with Plumlee. Well, they'll essentially trap Trey Young on the Young Capella pick and roll which you get the theory of, right? It's exactly what you said. Take him out of the play. He's not going to run around like Steph Curry. Once the ball is out of his hands, it's out. And dare Capella to be a playmaker in open space. The thing about that is Clint's not bad at that. And Trey, as he's gotten better and better and better, will just make the simple pass, which is, okay, you're two on me. I'll either hit Capella or, more profitably, I'll hit Kevin Herter over here and his guy's in help position because Capella's open, and the machine will just move, and we'll get a lot of open threes between Herter, Hunter, Bogdanovich, who's ever on the floor will get tons of open threes. And I think just giving them too much of that pressure look um, risks just death by open three, and the Hornets give up a ton of threes. And Trey will figure that out. Same thing with dropping back. If you just drop, right, we saw with, in the playoffs last year, if you just drop against him, he's going to kill you with floaters. Then you're going to send more help and then you're just scrambling. No. Uh, so I expect a lot of, a, a lot of change, some pressure, some zone. And to your point, I wonder how quickly the Hornets are in again, must win on the road. Like you don't waste time in these games, how quickly they're going to pull. Let's just go super small and play PJ Washington at center which is how they closed their last game against the Hawks, and they won, and they won because that lineup kind of confused Capella, confused the Hawks, stretched them out to the breaking point, and this to me is where Collins' absence or potential absence looms large because I'm more willing to go small against the Hawks without Collins because either you're keeping Capella on the floor for his defense and rebounding, and we can exploit that, or it's like, is Hunter playing the five? Are you going to throw Gallinari out out there for us as as chum to just destroy? Uh, what are you What are you going to do? And so I'm curious how quickly we get to that to that look because I th- it it is it is leaky on defense. It doesn't rebound well. But for no. two or three years running now, the Hornets are good with PJ Washington at center. Yeah, I mean it is a, it is an existential battle for for like James Rago because I, I I just think that. Like they do get crushed on the boards. Um, it, it is not great. I mean, they're look even with Plumlee, and they're not they're not a great rebounding team, um, and it can hurt you. I mean, Harrell is also another interesting thing, and it, it's the it's the question that playoff teams like the Clippers have have dealt with Harrell for a while, which is what do you give up? Um, you know, when you bring him in, yet he is so just he is so hungry offensively, and it, and it really allows. I mean, wow, it, it, 
like when you get Lamelo sort of working in space and he's got options and there are easy solutions to say nothing of the difficult ones, which he can capitalize on. He's a really effective. I mean, this team scores in beautiful ways and they do it in, 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 in large volume, especially when Bridges is just like kind of has his dribble game going and, and, and whatnot. But yeah, the defense against Trey, I mean, ultimately, you know, one thing about Trey is in, in I, I, it's like weird to even kind of pick apart his flaws. He's such a brilliant offensive player, but you know, he is small. He doesn't see well. I've seen teams sort of almost go to the ice again, that East to West is sort of the key. And I think it's something that the better teams that have, that have played against him, you know, he had some couple tough games against Utah in the last couple of years, as you will see that almost, Hey, let's just kind of just keep him away from the middle of the floor. And if you show enough in front of him, show enough bodies in front of him, Look, he has great vision in the middle of the floor, but, but you know, again, size, the farther away he gets from the middle of the floor, that is some place where you can contain him. And I'm with you. Like Collins, you know, even ha- you know, not really having that double drag anymore. It's sort of taken one weapon out of the arsenal. Um, Collins is a great skill player, and, and they don't have that really anymore. Um, but it is going to be fun. I mean, Charlotte, with, there are times, they've been one of my favorite kind of stealth watches this year, just because... Hey, they play a, a, a pretty brand of basketball. Um, you never know what is going to happen. Um, I kind of like guys like like Martin that at least give them some patina of toughness and and, and sort of um, physicality. Cody Martin's good. He's he, he's good. He's good. He's a good basketball player. I think he's going to be on the floor a lot tonight, Zach. I just have a sense he's going to be on the floor a lot tonight. Like he is a way for them to sort of negotiate with themselves. Like okay. Like we know we're giving up size at the five if we go with PJ, but but having Martin kind of as a, a sizable physical wing, who by the way can pick up Trey, um, he gives him he gives him some comfort because um, it, it's a flawed roster in that respect. Like they just don't have they're gonna have to figure out. There's a reason you're hearing them as sort of you know a team that's going to be looking for a, a center or one of these kind of new, a really good mobile big in, in, in the, over the off season. Cause they do, they just kind of wrestle with the angels in terms of how do we defend the rim and account for a guy like Trey and make sure we rebound the ball. You know, it, it's just, they don't have a lot of great solutions, but when they, when they make lemonade, it tastes really good. And, and that's sort of the fun thing about watching Charlotte. Well, and, and their their small ball options have, have not dwindled, but Martin has sort of risen in prominence with Hayward's injury. Uh, McDaniels uh, has just kind of been up and down and injured sometimes too. Hasn't quite found a stable role. He's playing more lately. And Ubre, who started off the year just scorching and looked like, is this guy going to be the sixth man of the year rival to Tyler Hero? He's kind of seen his minutes in production drop off a little bit. And that leaves... That leaves Martin, but I still between Ball, Rozier, Martin, Washington, Bridges, you got enough there. And by the way, Bridges, the biggest leap in his game has been as a one-on-one player. And if I've got a matchup that I like with him, whether it's Herter or Bogdanovich or basically anybody but Hunter, I'm going at that. If I can get Trey on him, if I can run some unconventional pick and rolls to get Trey on him, that's one way I can squeeze out points. But uh, to you, you brought up a good point. Charlotte's fun to watch. And one of the reasons they're fun to watch is they run a lot. They play super fast. And there's been, like, Atlanta is one of the more disappointing teams in the league to me this year, even though they finished on kind of a high note. And one of the reasons is they kind of lost the seriousness of purpose they had after Nate McMillan took over last year. They just don't seem to be valuing every single possession the way they did when they ran all the way to the conference finals. And that has showed up the most. They're one of the worst transition defense teams in the league. And it's just sloppiness. It's not... 
It's not that they're crashing the glass. It's not that they have any sort of structural reason to be bad at transition defense. They're just, their collective first step is bad. Their habits are bad. They watch shots. They don't get back on defense. And that's an area to watch in this game because if you give Charlotte too many open threes in transition, too many dunks, too many runouts, um, they are going to put up a great fight against you. And related to that, another interesting battleground is um, – the Hornets force a ton of turnovers to get out and run. The Hawks have the lowest turnover rate in the NBA. So if they can control the ball and just have an okay transition defense game, they should win. But everything the Hawks should be this season, the word should has not been kind to them. They just have not lived up to expectations. And and part of it is that one weakness that I think Charlotte is equipped to try and go at. Yeah, no, and, and again, they've been terrible off live uh, transition off live rebounds. Uh, it doesn't matter what context. If I were Nate McMillan, I would just basically say, unless you are a seven foot tall guy from Switzerland, and like you can show the passport, I do not want you going anywhere near the offensive glass. Like get back immediately, because you know then you put the Hornets in a half court situation, and they're, and they're good again. They're going to have some real half court opportunities uh, on Tuesday night. But I, I just again, if you if just control possession and Get your defense set. Your defense is not very good, but give it a fighting chance for God's sakes. And when you watch the Hawks, as I do a lot, it's just like it's constant source of frustration. It's like, look, I understand the deficiencies. I understand the stuff you can't control defensively about your shortcomings. But damn, can you at least control the stuff you can control? Like, why is this team running off of live rebounds? Turnovers are turnovers. It happens. I get it. It's just like, it is just such a, again, and it, it, it's an indictment on the team. And I say that with frustration because I'm always a little bit in the tank for Atlanta. It's my home team. But like, I don't know. I, it, it, they're going to have to sort of account for something. And that's just what I would do is like, we, we're just going to seed the offensive glass. And again, unless you're a seven foot tall Swiss guy who's in the immediate vicinity of the rim when the ball goes up. And by the way, Capella has played better in the last six weeks. I feel like he's found his his game and a little bit more of his bounce again. Bogdanovich is playing better um, lately. And their bench, look, it's been fashionable for a long time to say they can't score when Trey's on the bench. They stink when Trey's on the bench. When they've had their actual bench, which is Bogdanovich plus DeLon Wright plus Gallo and Mixon, whoever, when, like when they have DeLon and Bogdanovich in particular on the floor without Trey, they're plus like a lot. I think Bogdanovich is... And look, Tyler Hero is going to win sixth man of the year. Bogdanovich might get the number two spot on my ballot, which I have to submit in now 11 hours. I think he's had a really nice season for them and is trending the right way. Um, the other the, the other thing the, about the sort of seriousness of purpose is, I remember saying this earlier in the year, when teams pressure Trey we, and take the ball out of his hands, we, we tend to point the finger at Trey, like get off the ball and start moving around. And it's not just him. It's like you just want – I said this before. It's like you want them to have a little bit of the Suns in them where the Suns, when you blitz them on pick and rolls or get aggressive against them, there's a flare screen over here. This guy and this guy are switching places on the wing. This guy and this guy are moving around. And it's all this stuff that is semi-scripted and semi-improvised that just throws teams out of whack and guys get wide open. And the Hawks just have too much stand stand and that can work because Trey's drawing a double team and all you need to do is throw the correct passes but you just like to see them have let like habits just have like better habits away from the ball and they just haven't gotten there that said my pick 
I, I thought I thought about taking Charlotte in this one. I think they have a chance, but I'm going to go with the home team. I'm going to go with the favorites. Enough of their players are trending up, even without Collins, even with that P.J. Washington at the five wild card that kind of scares me. I'm going to say the Hawks pull it out, and Trey Young reverses the trend you're talking about and has a, at least a good game by his standards, and the Hawks move on. Yeah, I, I, I have the Hawks as the home team. And by the way, if the game were in Charlotte, I'd have Charlotte. Um, this is the reward. Uh you know, for, for winning the season tiebreaker. And again, I, I'm with you. Like for all, I, I can bag on the fact that they don't do enough off the ball. And I do believe that some of that is Trey not wanting to work off the ball, but I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to bury the guy uh, given the offensive ingenuity he displays every single time down the floor. They've got enough. They've got enough, Zach Lowe. They've got Bogdanovich. You know, Agongu gives them good minutes. DeLon Wright is a very serviceable adult table backup point guard. I like what they have. And again, Charlotte, there's a reason they have to throw the kitchen sink is it's sort of, you know, there, there, there's a base defense problem there. I think right now in terms of personnel, um, it's not for the lack of effort. It just doesn't kind of work. And I, I'm, I'm going to say Atlanta's going to score at least 125 points Tuesday night. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part, each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Let's go to our last game, which we have ranked least interesting, both of us. And it's I don't really know why. It's, it's, it's somewhat interesting. interesting. Yeah. These... The 9-10 game in the West, the Spurs at the Pelicans. The Pelicans are, these teams are almost identical in terms of how they rate generally. The Pelicans are 19th in offense and 18th in defense. The Spurs are 18th in offense and 17th in defense. Their plus minuses are quite close to each other. The Spurs won the season series 3-1. to one. You can basically throw that out the window, even though three of the games were kind of, you can't throw it out the window. Three of the games were recent. C.J. McCollum played in three of them. Ingram missed a couple of them over the course of the season. Um, I think part of the reason it feels unexciting is that the Spurs are like, well, we're in the, we're in the plan. <laughs> like we, we traded Derek white for some future stuff and Josh Richardson, who's been good for us. But I kind of, we kind of didn't think we'd be here partly because we didn't think the Lakers would crap the bed. So by the way, oh, we're here. We, we've had DeJounte Murray hasn't played in like two weeks. We're still here. Okay. We're here. And the Pelicans credit to it's almost opposite. Like the Spurs displayed not all, all, all that much interest in getting here. The Pelicans were hell bent on getting here, fought like hell to save their season after a three and 16 start. No Zion Ingram missed 24 games credit to the players. They're tough. They played, they play hard. They've been a decent defensive team now for a long time. Credit to Willie Green for instilling a culture where they don't give up and they fight for their season. And they really wanted to be there and they're here and they get this game at home. What's interesting. And, and the Spurs, I think, well, Murray played yesterday. Devin Vassell's ready. The Spurs will have everyone but Doug McDermott. So I would guess they will start Murray, Vassell, 
Primo, Keldon Johnson, and Pirtle. Maybe Josh Richardson gets the start over Primo. I don't know. Um, uh, what do you What do you expect from this game? What are you going to be looking for at tip-off? Yeah, I, I've been watching a lot of uh, the Pelicans the last month or so, uh, partially because I, I, I love the stylings of Joel Myers and Antonio Daniels, one of my favorite crews, which often oddly will dictate a lot of my, my viewing, especially like in the five o'clock hour out here on the West Coast. I'm kind of fascinated. We talked a lot about it early in the season with Cleveland, but the Pelicans have been running out this too big lineup with McCullum, Ingram, McCullum basically at the point, Ingram, Herbert Jones, Jackson Hayes, and Jonas Valanciunas. So you got the the twin towers. It's working gangbusters. They're a plus 15.4 per 100. And by the way, it's worked when Ingram is out and you put Devon, little Devontae Graham in there. Um, the true shooting rate with these teams on the floor together is exceptional, 60%. They're great rebound, elite rebounding unit, like efficient scoring unit. And even though there's not a ton of space because that's generally the drawback, right? Like you put these two bigs, neither of which are stretchy, you know, for the most part. Like, what, you know, what are you, how are your guys going to be able to operate in tight space? And the answer is, is in, in CJ McCollum and, and Brandon Ingram, who are oddly similar in a lot of ways, um, they don't need a lot of space. You talk about guys um, who outperform their shot profile in terms of, oh, they're tough shot makers. These are two of the best. And partially it's because they're Martians. But partially, it's because they just have that ability to work in tight states against contested um, defenders contesting. And it's been a lot of fun. This has been a very effective unit. They are winning with these two bigs. Um, It's a really spirited team right now. They've been a a really good story the last month and a half. And by the way, that's not to say they don't don't stub their toe, because they do. I mean, once every 10 days, you can turn on a Hornets game and be like, they're losing to this. But by and large, since McCollum got there, they're the eighth best offense in the league. They're the 11th best defense, which is not a reflection of McCollum by any means. But they've just been kind of a tight team that now has this identity. And it's like, to hell with it. Jackson Hayes, Jonas Valanciunas, both of you get on the floor together. Um, And CJ McCollum, you're actually a point guard. We've all known that for a very, very long time. The league has known that. We're actually going to empower you to do it. And it's just kind of, and I love Herbert Jones. By the way, he's going to be on my first team all-rookie as a second-round pick. Big fan of Herbert Jones. Hell, was even a late scratch for me, one of the last cuts through my second-team all-defense. I'll have you know, Zach Lowe. I'm enjoying the Herbert Jones experience, you know? And, like, it's funny. For a team that started 3-16, and 16, ridiculing their, their, their sort of team-building and roster-building and the Zion nonsense and this, that, and the other, like, all of a sudden, you kind of look up and down, and, you know, I'm, I'm watching their game flows and everything. I was like, you know, this is a basketball team. That can, you know, that, that wins games and that has, I think, a certain identity. I mean, look, I don't, I don't expect them to make a hell of a lot of noise in the playoffs, but you know, they've, 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 they've created something for themselves, and I, I kind of have an appreciation for it, and just the, the sheer gall to go out there with Hayes and Valanciunas, which I just think is would would have seemed like madness a year and a half ago in this league to even try to win basketball games that way, and it, it's worked. First of all, they haven't made the playoffs yet. We have to. We no, have I know. To I keep saying that. This. I know. I know. I know. I'm terrible. Second of all, I believe that like you mentioned, their starting five. I don't know if you, you didn't check updated numbers or whatever. Now I have them as plus eight per 100 possessions, not plus 15. Oh, but that regardless. That five? You know, okay, let me check. Yeah. yeah. The, 
they're really, really, regardless, it doesn't matter. They're really, really good. And they've been very good with Ingram and McCollum together. And they've only gotten to play less than 400 minutes together because of various injuries to Brandon Ingram and missed games and all that. They've been solid with those two guys together. Jackson Hayes does enough stuff as a cutter around the rim and a dump off guy that he's super dangerous despite the spacing issues. CJ has been great. BI has been really good when he's been healthy uh, after an adjustment period with, with CJ. I do think there are some interesting matchups in this game. If assuming the Spurs have everybody, I think you'll see a lot of Vassell on CJ McCollum, which is kind of a fun matchup and a fun test for a really interesting second year player. Josh Richardson has also gotten, um, the C.J. McCollum matchup quite a bit. And on the other end, I think we're going to see not on Herb, not on Herb guarding DeJounte Murray, who has morphed into an all-star this year and and just an ace long two jump shot maker. Um, The boards are a key, you know, in in one game, anything can happen, but these are two of the top 10 offensive rebounding teams in the league. The Spurs offensive rebound, look at that there. I think they're eighth in offensive rebounding. The, the Pelicans are a great defensive rebounding team. The Spurs are 24th. So are the Pelicans, can they generate eight extra points, six extra points on offensive rebounding? That can be kind of the difference in this in this um, in a, in a one-game take-all like this. My gut, I just think the Pelicans, they just have more pure kind of capital T talent on hand when they have both McCollum and um, Ingram, just more kind of explosiveness to them than the Spurs who are faster and more explosive than they have been in the past. And Keldon Johnson's been rampaging for the last couple of months and all that. I just kind of think the Pelicans have a little bit more firepower but and, and a little bit more at stake. And I, and I, I don't know if the players feel that, but they, they do need – they need to win this game. The Pelicans as an organization really need to win this game. Um, I just think the firepower they have will carry them through by a little bit, but it would not surprise me if the Spurs won. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I – have the least amount of confidence on this game over the over four about what it's actually going to look like. Um, I've been enjoying the Keldon Johnson sort of experience lately. You know, I never loved him as a one-on-one player. Like, yes, he's strong and he can use that strength to get to the hoop, but like, you know, so could Stanley Johnson in his first few years. And I was sort of not a Keldon Johnson guy. And like all of a sudden, like, you know, okay, maybe his dribble game isn't deceptive enough. It doesn't matter, but he's become this really nice complimentary piece um, like he's a catch and shoot player. He gives the Spurs a lot of structure. He's asked to do a lot kind of now as a, essentially as a four man for all practical purposes. And that's what he is. Um, it'll be fun to see how, you know, one of these, uh, Hey, we're not going big and you're not going small. Let's see how it plays out with, you know, possibly gets haze. Um, but I, but I really enjoyed, you know, Johnson and, and Pirtle's kind of interesting. He's a, he's one of these skills, not stretch bigs. Um, and, you know, they did a really nice job in the first couple of matchups against New Orleans um, with Pirtle in this short roll game, right? And you, you kind of make Valanciunas defend a little bit in space. Um, you know, they even use Kelton Johnson in that capacity uh, with Pirtle in, in, in a couple of uh, the March games to, to that effect. So, I mean, that was sort of some interesting thing. I mean, San Antonio will come up with a few things that are clearly, you know, that will work, that give them an advantage against, as you say, better talent. Um, but I have I don't have a huge feel, even though these teams both played in each other in March, about what it's going to look like apart from that. Um, but yeah, I mean I've gotten it's it's been fun to kind of get to know the Spurs a little bit again, as you know, kind of knowing you know we're gonna have to talk about them and, and sort of watching them. Um, and obviously Dejounte has just become just an incredibly creative player. Um, 
with defensive capacity, just just can change the game as a defender a bit. Um, wasn't on my ballot this year, but I, I do think that, like, it, again, it also will, it, it gives them a fighting chance behind them. They're not a great defensive team, but he is great against the point of attack. Um, he's a great weak side uh, guard defender because he can just come so quick. Uh, I'm, uh, it'll be a fun game. Again, I, I, I don't want to insult the, the good people of New Orleans and San Antonio. This is my least interesting game, and it's a very interesting game. Agreed. I think I think the Spurs are playing pretty well. The Pelicans are playing pretty well when they have everybody. I think the matchup is kind of interesting. It's two teams that don't shoot a lot of threes, but the Pelicans have kind of more of that variance explosion to them than the Spurs do. Um, the Spurs, of course, give up no threes at all. That's just a, a Popovich constant. Um I'm picking the Pelicans. They're home. I just think they're more explosive, and and that lineup's been working well. And they found some. Their bench is kind of stabilized with, um, with Jose Alvarado. I like. I, I don't know how much Trey Murphy will play. I like Trey Murphy. I think that that kid's got a chance to be really good as a as a complementary wing player. And has had a couple of big games, a couple of goose egg games, but a couple of big games down the stretch. And the Pelicans have been playing like for their lives for a long time here. I'm gonna take them, which means I've taken. All the home teams, I guess, and which would give us the Nets as the seventh. So we are pretty. Here's what my predictions. I think we we got all the same yeah, predictions. I'm with you on everything. Give us the Nets as the seventh. The Nets is the seventh seed facing um, the Celtics. The Wolves as the seventh seed facing the Grizzlies. That would be awesome. Just mm-hmm. to, to, I, that's my series. Zach. The, I'm going to Memphis. By the way, I'm, I'm Memphis. Two of the loudest. Two of the loudest trash talker talking teams in the league one of them has backed it up with tons of wins the other i was watching i think i was watching i was watching spurs warriors on saturday night uh because i i wanted to see i chose that game i want to see how draymond was looking i knew you know both teams sat tons of guys draymond looked great by the way he looks like draymond again um and the spurs announcers were having a little aside about the play-in and this and that and i, I think it was bill land the play-by-play guy said yo the wolves the Wolves act like they've actually won something in this league. And I think that's the kind of like, that's how people think of the Wolves and their trash talk, which got most of the attention when they just humiliated Russell Westbrook and the Lakers. Um, just as this team that's a little little too big for their britches. Like Memphis, the britches fit because when you win 55 plus games, talk your talk. Like you back it up every game. There's this sense that the Wolves are a little too, little too yappy. A little too loud. I kind of like it. I kind of like that for the Wolves. I kind of think they should lean into that. And then we would get Clippers Pels for the eighth seed and Hawks Cavs for the eighth seed. And I would probably pick the home team. I'd probably pick the Clippers and the, the Hawks in those games, respectively. Cleveland would be at home. Uh, I misspoke there. So that that's where we are. I guess we'll see starting tomorrow. We get the first two playing games. It's play-in week. They made a whole week out of this. If you make the playoffs now... You get like a week off. It's actually kind of a another added bonus to being in the top six. You get a week to rest and recuperate, which for the Mavs, as we mentioned earlier, that could be huge. Um, I'm I'm very excited about either outcome in the in the Clipper uh, Timberwolves game because I am I am been assigned to Memphis. I fly there on Thursday, and if I get the Timberwolves, then I'm going to be writing a lot of really fun newsers about all just the bile that is that is on the floor directed at one another, and that that could be fun and also be fun to kind of. You know, see that. I think it's a fun series, and if it's Los Angeles, it's the Clippers, and I get to be at home for games three and four. And uh, you know, I, I so it's a it's a the Grizzlies are a great assignment. You just season. You just gave me flashbacks, though. You just all the bile 
in all this talk about trash talk, I, I just got flashbacks to the Pat Beverly, Russell Westbrook thing from all those years ago when Russ was a young star in Oklahoma City and was going to call a timeout. And every other player in the league respects the upcoming, you know, you're slowing down to call a timeout, except Pat Bev, who goes for a steal and ends up accidentally injuring Russell Westbrook's knee. And I just, just keep John Morant safe. That's all, that's uh, just, just keep him safe. Keep him out of harm's way. I just can't, I just, I somehow just, my body start. I don't, I don't like it. Okay. Well, that's the play in K.A., Thank you for your time, your insight. We will be calling upon you in the first round series between the Grizzlies and Team TBD. Uh, enjoy Memphis, and I will see you soon, my friend. Thanks for having me. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.